This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. This is weird. Is this what momentum feels like? A little bit. Is that is that the sensation I have? Actual momentum. I'm. I'm. It's been so long. I'm. I'm so unaccustomed to it. But deep within my T cell memory, I seem to recall that maybe it felt a little bit like what I'm feeling like today. That this is a little bit of what momentum feels like. It's like that scene at the end of Shawshank where Red's on the bus. I, I, I can hardly hold a thought in my head or sit still. It, this must be the kind of feeling only a free man can feel. Exactly. That's a great analogy. And you know what? The fact that you didn't jump right in with some kind of Catholic guilt-driven, uh, pessimistic take, um, you know, with, laced and marinated in vinegar first, indicates that maybe indeed this is this is a little... A little bit of momentum we seem to have right now, right? I'll accept it. All right. Greetings and welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and a podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin and he is Aaron McIntyre. You are you. You can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Access it by emailing the show, Steve at SteveDace.com, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe Parlor and Gab. Follow me at Steve Day Show on Getter and a noticeably freer Twitter. It is like it's 2018 on Twitter all over again, right? All right, so I'm sure that'll come up during the course of today's program. We have a jam-packed Tuesday show waiting in the wings for you. Good friend of the show, Josh Hammer, op-ed page editor over at Newsweek, will join us about his latest piece, which offended absolutely all of the right people. We'll talk to him about that uh, next hour, as well as Pop Culture Tuesday, when we look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. We're going to talk about the new film, Father Stew. Starring Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson, which is, it's a legitimately great film, by the way. But I wonder if it could have been more successful if they had not done as much of what they did a lot of in this film. And we'll discuss that because it's a dilemma. It's a dilemma that we had when we were putting the story process and the script writing process together for our own film. Okay, on a nefarious plot. So we'll have that conversation coming up for Pop Culture Tuesday next hour. At the bottom of this hour, I'm going to share with you what I think is the best seven minutes by a Republican in elected office I've ever seen. I have ever seen. And then you guys are going to tell me if you think that is fake news or not, if I'm blowing it way out of proportion. Okay, so we will get to that and more. But first, we must get to Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Hostile Takeover Complete. 
Twitter has agreed to sell itself to billionaire Elon Musk in a deal valued at $44 billion. This comes about a week and a half after Musk initially made his offer to take the company over. Musk said in a statement, quote, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy. And Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. End quote. Former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey said in a series of tweets he regrets what Twitter has become and that he regrets it being owned by Wall Street and advertisements and that Musk is the singular solution he trusts. Meanwhile, the left is coping hard. If you, uh, if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom uh, for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party or are you going to decide to stay home? And that's a question for Twitter users. What happens to the advertising? I mean, if there's no moderation or little moderation, do the right. advertisers stay away? What does that do to the, yeah. the business prospects for Twitter itself? You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees. Or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Amazon founder and former CEO Jeff Bezos reacted to the news by wondering aloud if China has gained leverage over the quote unquote town square. Because if there's one person who knows a thing or two about China having massive leverage over a large company, it's Bezos. The American Civil Liberties Union came out and said we should be worried about Musk's purchase of Twitter and the effect that'll have on free speech. Musk is a large donor to the ACLU, by the way. Donald Trump told Fox News he's not going to be rejoining Twitter, instead using his new social media platform, Truth Social. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis added this. You have some of these legacy media outlets in D.C. and New York saying that this is such a bad thing because Musk believes in free speech. <laughs> but it shows you what they've used these tech platforms to do. When these platforms first came on the scene, they build themselves as being open platforms, as letting people share ideas. Indeed, they were used to go around a lot of those failed legacy media outlets like NBC and CNN that nobody trusts anymore. And yet it seems like over the last five or six years, these big tech companies, including Twitter, uh, have gone from being open platforms to being enforcers of the narrative. And if you dissent from that narrative, you can be silenced. You can be deplatformed. If you report things that are inconvenient to the narrative, like the New York Post did with Hunter Biden, they will take it down or freeze your account. Speaking of DeSantis, the newest St. Leo poll of DeSantis's approval rating finds him at a new high of 59 percent, an uptick of three points from the last iteration of this poll back in the fall. That same poll finds DeSantis beating Charlie Crist in the governor's race 49 to 32 percent and beating Nikki Fried in the governor's race 51 to 27 percent. And finally, let's just stop and take stock of what's happened in the last week. Netflix's share price dropped precipitously last week on news of subscriber losses with millions more expected. The following day, the streaming platform released a drama about a dude who gets pregnant. Less than a month after its launch, CNN Plus is dead, a $300 million hole in the ground. 
Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature spanked Disney for their pro-groomer stance. Disney has lost about $40 billion in its stock value, and Elon Musk just bought Twitter and is taking it private. Wow. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage brought to you by my glasses, or at least the people that made them for me, over at Better Spectacles. And if you're like, man, I've I've got progressives or bifocals, or I'm a little far, I'm a little near, that means I've always got to get the dorky frames. I mean, that's me. I'm in that a little far and a little near category as well. I don't have to get the dorky frames anymore, though, because they've got handcrafted rodenstock eyewear now available for even your problematic prescription and your regular one, too. When you go to our friends over at Better Spectacles, who's Rodenstock, 140-plus-year-old company, one of the gold standards in all of the world, hundreds of patents, uh, Ronald Reagan even wore uh, handcrafted Rodenstock frames. You can get them for free uh, if you take your prescription over or you need to have your prescription um, checked out. You needed to have it prescribed. Um, you need to have it uh, diagnosed, whichever is the case. From our friends over at Better Spectacles, it's not just some online company with low-quality offerings. You'll get the same service from their expert opticians online that you'd get if you stopped into one of their stores. And right now, get handcrafted Rodenstock frames for free and 61% off their GoSpec lenses when you go to betterspectacles.com slash Steve. That's betterspectacles.com slash Steve. Coming up in today's overtime, uh, and frankly, I only noticed this because um, he still has some of the most alluring blue eyes I have ever witnessed. You ever seen Kirk Herbstreet in person? Have you? What is happening? (laughs) What's going on? It's not April 1st, so come on. There's like every violation, of <laughs> every, violation. every time that matters is happening right now. Uh, how was that Lindsey Graham impersonation? Good? Was it good? A little too good. A little too good? Nevertheless, Kirk Street does have some of the most amazing blue eyes in person you will ever see. The color blue does weird things it does. to you. I like blue Chargers Christmas lights. Chargers uniforms, pretty, blueberry I, I ice do. cream I names. Do. The pretty blue Christmas lights. Yes. I do. I do. I, I do like the color blue. Uh, but uh, and, and in person, they are real and they are spectacular. Well, you won't be seeing them in person at the NFL draft this year. Because he has announced via Twitter he can't go. He has a blood clot of mysterious origin. Of course, there's a lot of that sadly going around this year. It is the worst season ever for blood clots and hepatitis. So do please mask up. We will be discussing that in today's overtime for Blaze TV subscribers, which you can access uh, by uh, just going to blazetv.com slash days. If you're already a subscriber, we will record it right after today's show and then upload it there for you at blazetv.com slash days. That's also where you can go today to become a subscriber at a discount. Again, that's blazetv.com slash days. Aaron, I love the way you ended your montage because you had no idea of what I had planned to open up with today and say to the audience, but it is the, it's the perfect segue. So great minds. Once again, think alike. I, I, I want us to take a step back today, folks. I want us to take a step back and reconsider the statement I made at the beginning of the program here. Do we have momentum? We do. I absolutely believe we have some momentum for the first time 
And it's been a minute since I have felt we have had some momentum, that we have been on offense, that we have been pressing things. And if I'm right about that, consider what we do not have. We don't have any Republican in the White House, even one you would want. Which chamber of the U.S. Congress are Republicans in charge of and aggressively utilizing in order to push back on the spirit of the age? Well, not currently, but normally. It wouldn't matter. Normally never. It it wouldn't matter if they did, right? Indeed. Think about where we started this year. When we came back in January, we were looking at unprecedented violations of bodily autonomy via a poisonous jab. We were looking at unprecedented levels of big tech censorship, which was literally killing people. We were debating, would they take the Omicron off-ramp or would they not? Or would they just ride out the coercion and power and control forever, right? Yeah. Things looked looked pretty bleak at the start of this year. Now, let me say, this is a little bit, what I'm about to say is a little bit like bragging about balanced budgets at the end of the Bill Clinton administration. They did happen. They did occur. And those are good things. Mm -hmm. But they didn't actually pay down the national debt. They did balance the existing budget for that fiscal year. But they didn't really tackle the monstrosity and just left it to be piled upon by future generations. Okay. So we've got to be amorphous, flexible. We've got to think transcendently and imminently. Macro, micro. In the big picture, we are in deep, deep doo-doo as a people. Deep. Existentially deep. The kind of deep doo-doo you don't come back from as a culture, but the fact that you reached that level of depth of doo-doo is indicative of the fact you are headed to the bottom. To the ash heap of history. Now, if you're sensing, though, that a butt is coming, you're right. And it's been rare that I've been able to do this in a positive direction for quite a while. But what is the first step When you're digging yourself a hole, what is the first step? Stop. Stop. Put down the shovel. I think we've actually done more than that. We have taken our first couple of steps to crawling out. Now. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, Bon Scott. Okay? And it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. But we defied human history in forging these 13 colonies, 
this new world into a world superpower already. The founding, the ascendancy of this country already defied the arc of human history. That's why it was described in one of the best books I've ever read as a 5,000 year leap in human society. Who's to say we can't do it again? Because what you're seeing now and the first the first steps are the hardest. Someone sent me a tweet last night that is so brilliant. I wish I knew their real name. I just know their Twitter name. But someone sent me a tweet last night. I think they might have copied you guys on this. That said, you know what? When you, guys, when you talk about on your show, we could have been doing this all along. I mean, Aaron just told you about the last seven days. And he pointed out, in three weeks, Ron DeSantis and the Florida GOP absolutely pimp-slapped woke Disney. They've been quiet as kept over there the last couple weeks. You notice that? Boy, they came out, guns a-blazing, how you like me now? Quiet as kept over there at Disney HQ in, in Orange County, Florida. Ain't got much to say now. It was about three, four, five, six weeks ago, the Babylon Bee and Elon Musk favorite got banned. That's going to end up being the costliest Twitter ban of all time, by the way. Shot heard around the world. It was, man. Absolutely it was. Yes. Couple of weeks later, Musk out of nowhere, off the top rope, I've had enough. Three weeks later, he bought him out and he owns it. And what was the Babylon B post that got them banned? Uh, it was about not Richard uh, Levine. Yeah, it was about Richard Levine. Yeah, who's not a woman, and never will be. We can't do anything. Now, take it from this is where I'm going to give you some personal advice. Because here's what happens: I, when I needed to lose the initial weight. And they tell me, I got to lose 150 pounds. And that number is just so overwhelming. You can't even like quantify it, which is why you don't want to step on a scale. It's funny when you're morbidly obese in, in your mind, you convince yourself you're not that big until you try to sit in a restaurant booth or buckle the, the seatbelt on an airplane or you're sitting next to that person who's doing it. Um, and then when you start losing a bunch of the weight in your mind, you actually now reverse it and start thinking you're wider than you actually are. Why? Because we lie to ourselves. One is a, is a bad lie to keep us complacent. The other is a good lie to keep us motivated. And when they give you a number like that, you're thinking, there's just no way I can lose that. And then they give you the plan to do it, and you're like, there is no way I can do it. For how long? cannot possibly work out five days a week. Your mind just starts coming up with all kinds of objections. You can't do it. And then you get upset at yourself that you didn't do this when you only needed to lose 75 pounds, which is still a monstrous number, or only, only needed to lose 40 or 30 pounds, right? You start, and then you think, because I didn't do it for so long ago, there's just no point in doing it now, so just keep drain circling. And you get in the give up, try harder cycle. 
you try to knuckle, you try to white knuckle it for a while. It doesn't work. And then you give up and then you succumb and, and, and you just do this time warp over and over again until you finally start taking the first few steps out. Now, here's the thing when you start gathering momentum. As you begin, as you start thinking to yourself, oh, this is going to happen a lot quicker than I thought. Don't believe that lie. It won't. You might lose seven, eight pounds your very first week. You won't do that every single week. What you're establishing is a new way of life. A new discipline. I'm going to live differently. And I don't know if I can do it six months from now. I don't even know. I don't even, I don't even want to contemplate that. Like we were talking earlier uh, this week. Can we even contemplate what the world will, or was last week when people were tweeting out Trump 24 and DeSantis 28, let's save America. And we're like, can you even imagine what the country will even look like in 28? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, don't do that. Just do it today. Just do it today. Start thinking to yourself, man, I don't know if I can go to my kids' school board meetings every month. I've got so many. Don't do that. Can you go this? Can you go this month? Can you go raise hell this month? Next month will take care. Sufficient are the worries of the day. Don't worry about a month from now or doing this six months in a row. Can you do it today? Can you start forming a new habit? Can you start forming a new discipline? Can you change the way you're wired? Retrain your body, which really requires a retraining of the mind. Can you do that? This is what it means to be to 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 be disciplined. Oh, by the way, what is the root word of discipline? Disciple. Disciple. Hmm. Is there a being that likes that word a lot? Ask that of his. Of, the, of his followers. You know, we just kind of acknowledged him on a macro scale worldwide here in the last couple of weeks for what he did for us, right? We did. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. A new discipline. Because imagine if we could do this for another three weeks. Forget a year from now. Forget it. Because that's when the lie will come in. You're too busy. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Nope, don't do that. Look what's happened. In fact, just we're not even in the first of May. Unless you're in a jurisdiction under direct control by the spirit of the age, like the military or the healthcare system, the jab mandates are gone. The poison mandates are gone. The masks are almost completely gone. Twitter censorship is almost completely gone. Think of what we were successfully able to do with the truth and pushing back on it despite that censorship. Imagine what we will do without it not there, which is why they want it there. They know that. The enemy knows this. The enemy doesn't practice censorship because he believes he can win in the arena of ideas because he knows he cannot We have taken our first steps into a larger world from a paradigm standpoint. We can't do anything about the fact that we could have done this all along. 
And so this is where I now ask the two of you to start holding me accountable. Because here's what I don't want to do as your friendly neighborhood coach, co-teammate, analyst. Because there's going to be days we're going to fall. There's going to be days we're going to slink back into old patterns. That mental wiring doesn't want to go without a fight. And the spirit of the age that reinforced it all those years doesn't want to let it go without a fight either. So you're fighting it as much as you're fighting yourself. Is I need to reverse my tactic much more into challenging why we aren't doing these things. Into challenging in a way to encourage to keep doing what we have demonstrated already works. We don't have the White House. We don't have either House of Congress. We've got maybe three and a half Supreme Court justices. We've got a transformational figure as one transformational figure as a governor. We've got a handful of other really good ones. And a handful of really good platforms. (laughs) Is that a pretty good, just off the top of my head, assessment of our war chest? Yeah. And look at what we have accomplished here. And we're not even to the first of May. Why? Why? Because we haven't done it perfectly. Hell, we haven't even done it consistently. But we've done it more than we've ever done before, which is, you know what? Let's find out. Amen. Let's find out. Let's find out if you've got the goods. Let's let's call the, let, we're going to call the hand. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. But, but let's find out. Don't. But you probably don't. So let's find out. Over 50 appearances on headline news, MSNBC and CNN taught me that they don't immediately go to you're a bunch of racist, misogynistic, xenophobic bigots because they have other good substantive arguments, but because they don't. They're not freaking out about free speech on Twitter because they think they can win an open debate because they know they cannot. The last few months or the first few months of this year, just a remnant of us and a remnant of people we elected, none of them in D.C., by the way, have said, let's find out. And lo and behold, someone sent me an email the other day. This is, I feel like the scene in Rocky Four where Rocky goes back to the corner and writes and says, he bleeds. Like any other man, it's that's been the case all along, which has been my great frustration. Why I yell at you guys all the time, (laughs) all right? But I feel as if we have entered into a new phase now. Where now, I'm not the drill sergeant. You are the lowest form of life on earth. Where now, now I need to become now the life coach. You can do two or three more reps. You can do it. You can do anything for another 30 seconds, for another five minutes. You can do that. We can do this. It's always, always been a question of will. And that's always been a question of our own. 
The Lord said to the Israelites, I have given you the land. It is yours. But you must now go and take it. An act of faith, an act of faithful obedience that I believe that the Lord is the only living God. So I will act on what he says, even though my eyes don't see it. My eyes see armies and armadas and societies much bigger and larger than our own. But the Lord who brought us out of Egypt, who demonstrated his faithfulness, who fed us manna, who parted the Red Sea, who gave us the law, I will act based on that preponderance of evidence. I will act on it. Unfortunately, they didn't. And so a a lost generation took 40 years of one more trip around the mountain. We are at that juncture as a people now. We now have the evidence that if we step up, we can win. We can win. We can put one step ahead of the other and make the long climb the Bruce Wayne-like climb out of that pit in the dark night rises. We can do it. But we have to do it. We have to do it. We have to go into the land and behave as if it was given to us and act accordingly. So I feel as if this has entered a new phase now. We have proof of concept that we can play offense and that offense works. So now it becomes about discipline. Can we do this tomorrow? Let's find out. One of the things that we are pushing back on is on behalf of Parental Rights, one of the organizations that's on the front lines of helping in that fight. Our friends over at Alliance Defending Freedom, they take cases uh, along these lines and on so many other constitutional fronts all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they do them all pro bono, which means they need funding. And where does that funding come from? From people like us. And you know, I've got a standard on this show. I won't directly ask you to donate to something I've not cut a check to myself. So if I'm willing to make a donation to Alliance Defending Freedom, it's because I think it's a worthwhile donation to make. And I would encourage you to do the same. And you can do that right now. Make your tax-deductible donation to protect parental rights and all of our God-given rights when you go to adflegal.org slash Steve. That's ADF. For Alliance Defending Freedom, ADFlegal.org slash Steve. Once more, that's ADFlegal.org slash Steve. Let's get to fake news or not here on the program. And I watched this clip in its entirety last Friday. And I, I mean, I was just, I was blown away by the command of the issues, the command of the subject matter, the, the casualness of the conviction expressed, this is how you can tell if something is rote or rehearsed or if it is real. I'm just somebody just speaking right from the heart. And I think, I think this might be the finest seven minutes I have seen from a Republican elected official in my lifetime. Let's watch it. And then afterwards, you guys will tell us. Is that fake news or not? 
So momentarily, I'm going to sign the Stop Woke Act. We actually have two other bills. We just did a special, the legislature just did a special session. Uh, they passed three pieces of legislation. I'm going to sign two of those here today. Uh, one was we did a bill last year to combat censorship by big tech companies. And, and it did a couple things, but it provided Floridians the ability to sue big tech if you are uh, uh, deplatformed or censored based on viewpoint discrimination under a consumer fraud theory because they say they're open platforms and they steal your data and make a fortune off that. Uh, we also provided protection for political candidates so they can't deplatform you during the campaign and give the other party a, an advantage, which they probably would do. Um, so anyways, there's a lot of good stuff. But, you know, look, this is something we knew big tech would litigate. And uh, so they sued on it. It's now on appeal. They got a preliminary injunction from a district judge. It's on appeal. Next week is going to be the argument in the 11th Circuit. One of the provisions that got snuck into there at the end was a carve-out for anybody who operated a theme park, which is meant to protect Disney. And, uh, you know, I was in a situation as governor, do I veto the whole bill over that and get nothing, or do I sign it in spite of that? So I thought it was better to sign it in spite of that, knowing it was going to be litigated and know we could tweak it later. Um, but the district judge actually pointed to that provision as one of the reasons why he wanted to do the preliminary injunction. So it was a mistake for it to be done. The legislature has rectified that mistake, and they have repealed the Disney exemption to our big tech bill. That's important. The other bill will be uh, dealing with uh, a handful of what are called these uh, special districts that were done prior to the ratification of our Constitution in 1968. And one of those districts is Unlike anything else that we know in the state of Florida uh, that was called Reedy Creek Improvement District, it actually gave Walt Disney Company their own government in Central Florida. And so they control, they're self-governing, uh, they have the ability to build a nuclear power plant without state consent if they want. They don't have to go through permitting, they have all kind of different benefits. Uh, and it was really an aberration. No individual or no company in Florida is treated this way. And it's not right to have dissimilar treatment. But, you know, they had exercised a lot of power over the years. It was never anything that was debated. In fact, I don't even know that I knew the name of it prior to this becoming something that was live in the past few months. So we had to take a look at that, and we looked, and we said, you know what? I mean, man, this is not, not, not right. Um, but, you know, you did have the situation with our parents' rights and education bill. And the thing is, is you know when you're doing some of this stuff, you know, what happens with leftists and media, they like to distort, they like to create false narratives. Um, for whatever reason, Disney got on that bandwagon, they demagogued the bill, they lied about it, whatever came out against it. You know what, my view is, I was very clear about saying, you ain't influencing me, I'm standing strong right here, so it doesn't matter. But, you know, I was very clear, but I was also saying, you know, I think it's interesting that you're getting involved in Florida, protecting kindergartners from going to school without having transgender ideology in their curriculum, but you don't say anything about the Communist Party of China with all the atrocities they're committing, and you're making a fortune with them. You don't say things about other countries and their practices, uh, but nevertheless, I mean, it's fine. And so we weren't going to let that deter us. No big deal. We signed the bill, and then, and incredibly, they say, 
we are going to work to repeal parents' rights in Florida. And I'm just thinking to myself, you're a, cal you're a corporation based in Burbank, California, and you're going to marshal your economic might to attack the parents of my state? Uh, we view that as a provocation, and we're going to fight back against that. But, but honestly, even in spite of that, um, if none of that had happened, uh, this is the right thing to do just on the basis of those Zoom videos that you saw. He actually helped expose these Zoom videos. If you guys haven't seen these videos, you need to watch these videos. These are videos of very high up people in this corporation in Disney, and they're talking about their intentional agenda to inject sexuality in the programming that's provided to our youngest kids, kids of my age, five, four, and two, they want that as part of Disney programming. You know, that is just fundamentally wrong. And they have the freedom, I guess, to do, to do what they want, but as a parent, uh, I was very shaken by hearing that, because it's one thing to talk about legislation, and yes, they were wrong, yes, they did all that, but when you're talking about these acknowledgements and really the glee that these people had in these videos that they were going to get this stuff in, they were talking about concepts like pansexualism. I thought to myself, I don't know what that means, <laughs> but I know I don't want my five-year-old daughter to be taught it. And so it's really, really problematic that when a company had been so, so, uh, synonymous with parents of young children to, yes, come out against the parents' rights bill, but then to have those videos produced uh, where they're doing that. And, you know, I'm just not comfortable having that type of, uh, of, of agenda get special treatment in my state. I just can't do it. And so... And so the bill here sets the marker uh, that, that that is going to go. Now, people will say they, they do have services, utilities. We're going to take care of all that. Don't worry. This is all we, we have everything thought out. Don't let anyone tell you that somehow Disney is going to get a tax cut out of this. They're going to pay more taxes as a result of it. Um, but uh, it, it's just, you know, we really need to get away from this type of treatment uh, that was really unlike anything we've ever seen. And so, you know, I thought it was appropriate. I would have, you know, signed this bill three years ago if it had come to my desk just on basic, uh, basic principles. Um, but I, I think that that partnership that developed early on with Walt Disney, I don't think Walt would appreciate what's going on in this company right now. I'm sorry. And so, uh, so I think it's appropriate to, to sign that here today. Uh, we also did sign the congressional reapportionment in Tallahassee earlier today, so that's going to be transmitted. But these are the bills. The Stop Woke, which passed during the regular session, and then the, the, the theme park carve-out from our big tech bill and the special districts bill. We're going to put our John Hancocks on all of those right now. So I have, a, I have a decent amount of experience in politics, recruiting candidates, analyzing them, working for them. What I saw there is something that is very difficult when you're consulting or working with a candidate to produce. Mastery of subject matter, easily communicated, easily understood, in total control with a hint of swagger without being off-putting, and then able to without it sounding contrived able to implement an empathetic point like 
as a father myself. The word we're, we're looking for here, we actually have one of our colleagues, she titled her podcast, this word, relatable. The media makes you think that legislation is the stuff of Sith Lords. Well, what happens when the guy gets unfettered one-on-one access to the rest of us who signed those pieces of, of, of legislation, gets to stand up in a large setting, and it turns out he's actually more Yoda than Darth Vader. That doesn't sound like a Harvard-educated lawyer. It just sounds like a guy named Ron. And given the potency of what that what those two pieces of legislation mean. And the fact that by signing both of them, he is breaking, shattering traditions and paradigms within the Republican Party. I thought it was the finest seven minutes I have ever seen from an, a Republican elected official in my lifetime. Now, gentlemen, you decide, is that fake news or not? Well, that's not fake news. I am uh, reminded of uh, Scripture when he descends his uh, uh, disciples, the twelve, out into the world and says, do not worry about what you will say. Well, this, this is the end product of that. When you give yourself over completely, to a calling without fear, without hesitation. And you say, here I am, Lord. Uh, I, I used an errand like this, and I think I've mentioned this on the show a long time ago. Uh, but in the Harry Potter movies, in the fourth one, the Goblet of Fire, and I, I use this to talk to my children, and he, because it was so well done to me, the, the level of fear, don't say his name. And when Voldemort appears at the end of that movie in the flesh and Harry goes to hide behind a large boulder because he's just overwhelmed by it. And he's just being taunted by Voldemort and, and, and Harry just says right there, he just enough. And he says, fine, have it your way. And he just comes out behind that stone and it's on. And those mm-hmm. two go to battle. But it's here's the important point. Because full abandon to the calling, without fear, without hesitation, knowing the stakes. But he gives it to himself anyways. The reason Harry Potter does not die in this moment, because that full abandon brings all of the angels and saints of that Harry Potter narrative to bear. His parents, the ghosts of his parents, the ghosts of... Many other who have died, they come and they are there. There is something going on in Ron DeSantis's life that is like that. And and Steve's point about how listen, if you if you go to your school board meetings and you're you know you're you're concerned, you're worried, and you need to have your note cards. God bless you. You go to that meeting and you have your note cards. But the reason he in his position resonates is. It's not just that he said what he said and said it in the every man speak, but he was speaking with you and to you. It would not have been as an effect for this, you. Yes. Great oratory. 
if he had, if it had been every word verbatim, but he had just been reading it, it would have been good. We would have been applauding to it. But what he's doing up there, he's it's just t- total command of a narrative and a moment. It's organic. He's not just saying, you know, he believes it. Yeah. You know, he will follow through. You know, somebody else is not just propping him up. And therefore, you feel like this is something you can get behind that you will go to the mattresses for. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's truly, truly inspiring to see finally a man in full. Aaron, uh, I know you grew up listening to our show when it was local, and I used mm-hmm. to draw the distinctions between positions and convictions. You remember yep. those days? Yep. That's an example, in my view, of conviction. It's reflexive. Yes, and it's a it's a far cry because because we'll we'll get some speeches every now and then uh, that are full of conviction, but they're also full of promises. Most of which, at least in my adult life, most of which go unkept or unrealized. We'll get a lot of speeches from a lot of politicians about promises, and you can feel maybe maybe there's some conviction there or great oratory. But at the end of the day, it really amounts to nothing. I think what puts, and that's, that's rare in and of itself. We'll get those, but they're rare. What, that's, what sets this in kind of another realm, maybe another uh, uh, seemingly universe compared to what we're com- uh, used to getting, is the fact that this guy was about to go sign legislation. He had already accomplished what he was describing in his speech. And, and for all the reasons that you and Todd just laid out, the, the relatability of DeSantis, that he really does know this and believe this and care about this because he looks a lot more like you maybe in his home life than he does a lot of other politicians. That's what sets, sets this apart is that it's not just words. It's not just words well said. It's not just words well said with promises that are then broken. It's words well said from the heart with accomplishments to go along with them. That's what makes this completely different in my mind. Yes. And if I can make it personal, I think unlike a lo- unlike other people that were already so very well established, a lot of the other people that were so very well established when our show began to ascend they had already raised families or didn't have kids or they had already raised their children. They were at a different stage of life. And I'm just telling you, there's no way along the lines of Aaron, what you were, Aaron, what you were just saying, there's no way of doing this every day, staring into the mouth of madness and, and trying to confront it for a living every day, going home to your own young children and then doing the math of what they would then inherit. If you fail, there's just no way of that not giving you a different perspective about tactics and strategies and what's long-term and what's short-term and what's important now. And there's just no, Aaron, you've been, you were doing this for a living already for about five years. Mm-hmm. How has your perspective changed since you go home to a little boy every single day now? Oh, wildly It, it makes all this stuff yep. much more personal, a lot less theoretical, doesn't it? Yep. And I do think, and I think that's part of what you hear with, with, there as well. This is personal. He's living through this. This this is his home and his children at the exact same time as it's yours. We'll come back. Josh Hammer will join us to start Hour 2 in a moment. Greetings, back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here, 
With Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you, let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. D-E-A-C-E, like us on Facebook, Parlor and Gab. Follow me uh, at Steve Day Show on Getter and a, a new freer Twitter where I have now, it's been about exactly 24 hours since the Musk sale was formalized, uh, his acquisition of Twitter. It's, it's official. I'm over 3,000 new followers since this has gone down. So at Steve Day Show is where you can follow us there. I've gotten a lot of notes from people. I left. I gave up. I came back. I saw Tucker Carlson announced that he's back. By the way, a uh, friend of the program, Bob Vanderplotz, uh, their family leadership summit this summer. Speaking of Tucker Carlson, they just announced who their keynote speaker is, and it is none other than probably the biggest name in alternative media right now in the country. Tucker Carlson will be the keynote speaker at this year's Family Leadership Summit in July. So you're going to want to look at my Twitter feed at Steve Day Show. I've retweeted that announcement with. Uh, ticket information if you want to get in on that. There's also a rumor going around. I cannot confirm nor deny, but there is a rumor going around that that may also be on July the 15th, the first official preview of a certain movie may take place at that event as well. And oh yeah, I mean, Tucker Carlson's there too. But uh, again, I can neither confirm nor deny, but that is... The rumors making the rounds. Have you guys heard this rumor or is it just me? Have you guys heard this one too? Uh, coattails, baby. Coattails. So you've heard it as well. Yes. Indeed. All right. So again, if you just needed any further incentive to go ahead and look up that tweet in my feed at Steve Day Show and get your tickets now. All right. Coming up, speaking of movies, at the bottom of this hour, we're going to get into Pop Culture Tuesday. And we're going to talk about Father Stew, which is a great film that I think could have reached a greater audience. But made a mistake but maybe i'm wrong and they didn't make a mistake we'll get into that here at the bottom of the hour also need to get into talking about our good friends over at built bar they have launched a new product line and i don't know if you guys will be ashamed or proud this is the first time they've launched something new that i immediately did not go and order my own stash okay and it's not because i don't like it i love granola bars they have launched a new product line of built bar granola bars okay are they gluten-free? Um, I, yeah, everything else they do is pretty much, right? So yeah. I, I'd look it up if I were you. Yeah. The only reason I didn't buy is I did the big spring cleaning of the garage last weekend and realized how many built parts I've got in the garage. And I'm just, I don't... I'm fine with that. You bring the excess in here. I have a Oh, snack. so you wanted me to order yeah. more, so I'd bring you more I'm of my excess? Yes. I mean, I, I've got... I've, let's just say it... it the next biggest thing in the garage other than our cars is my stash of built bars. All right. And I think I got to pace myself. Otherwise I'm going to totally run out of room here. All right. But you don't have to because you're not nearly as obsessed as I am yet, but you will be. If you try my promo code for the best protein bar of all time, D E A C E and get 15% off when you go to built.com covered in real chocolate, loaded with protein and flavor, not loaded with carbs, calories, and sugars. Yeah. Make the substitution right now. It's better than a lot of the candy bars out there on the market. Cause try me. I've tried a lot of the candy bars out there on the market. All right. Uh, built.com to get 15% off your first or next or next or next or next, or in my case, next, next, next order. When you go to built.com, 15% off. Let's go to, well, we don't have like a guest line, do we? We don't have that. No. Let's go to our newsmaker line. We don't have anything like that, do we? No. No. Okay. 
Let's just go to Josh Hammer then. Hey, Josh. How are you, man? Doing all right, Steve. How are you, brother? Good to see you again. Uh, Josh, of course, good friend of the show. Uh, Op-ed page editor over at Newsmax. Or, I'm sorry, Newsmax Newsweek. World traveler extraordinaire. And is in the process of offending all of the right people. Good to see you, brother. So let's start there. Uh, you know, a, a famous movie had a famous line. You had me at hello. You had me on your recent uh, column for Newsweek at the title. Uh, and remind me again, because uh, I want to make sure I get it right, exactly what the title for your piece was. It was Against Principled Loserdom. Against Principled Loserdom. Perfect. I can't think of really anything that's come up recently that would uh, spur you to write such a provocative piece. But what was it? Um, So first of all, I want to give credit where credit is due. I did not coin the phrase principal loserdom. And actually in the column, I give credit to my friend Matthew Peterson of the Claremont Institute and New Founding, who I I, kind of sourced that phrase back to this 2019 piece that he wrote kind of about Tucker Carlson. He kind of had that opening monologue heard around the world back in January 2019. That was kind of the original source. I'm kind of just trying to reinvent the wheel here a little bit, so to speak. But so basically what happened was last week. So, um, you know, just on kind of a personal detour, I guess you mentioned that I do tend to travel a lot. In fact, I'm actually running right to the airport after we tape this show. But last week I was in Yale. I was in New Haven, Connecticut to do two debates, one for the college kids, one for the law school kids. Over at the college, I debated. Dan McLaughlin of National Review. Mm-hmm. Dan, Dan, Dan's a very nice guy. He is right? a very, very nice guy. guy. I agree. Very, He's baseball nice crank guy. on Twitter, by the way. Dan's a very nice guy. Yeah. So we were debating kind of, uh, you know, a common good conservatism, which is more or less kind of a proxy for kind of the so-called new right, this more kind of edgier, more kind of muscular, vigorous, like, uh, you know, get in there uh, a little less liberal as far as kind of our approach to politics, our approach to political economy. And, you know, time and time again in that debate, Dan kind of said, you know, we have to be the grownups in the room. We kind of have to be the people that understand that, you know, these are our friends, that these are our our, our siblings, our fellow countrymen. And we, and, and we, you know, we can't take this kind of to DEFCON one, right? The problem, Steve, as you and I have said on this podcast so many times, and I know that you and I are two of the true believers for this cause, we are not the people that took this thing to DEFCON 1. Right. Uh, our, side did, our side did not do this. You know, I, I, I think we probably would have preferred that this thing stayed at DEFCON 3 or DEFCON 4 or something like that. So anyway, so that kind of that, that whole conversation was kind of trickling my mind. And then that was on Tuesday at Yale. The very next day, so this was last Wednesday, I guess six days ago, you know, I, I saw that both Dan and his National Review, car, his colleague, excuse me, Charlie Cook, um, you know, former editor of National Review Online, both were criticizing Governor DeSantis, my governor here in the great state of Florida, for what he and Florida Republicans were set to do with respect to kind of Disney's special tax privilege in the Reedy Creek improvement area there in the Orlando, Florida area. And I, I you know, that was just enough for me. So I, you know, I kind of went off on in, the, in that column. I've got a new podcast episode actually for Newsweek Out today where my closing segment is on this. I kind of go off on, on a lot of the people that are criticized. I, I see at the point at this point, we are finally starting to win. Mm-hmm. We are finally starting to post some W's on the scorecard. What's happening here in Florida really should be a template for Republican governors, for Republican legislators across the country. Stick it to our enemies within the confines of the rule of law. The time for playing nice is over. Again, we did not take it there. They took it there. They were the people that said that Brett Kavanaugh was a gang serial rapist. They were the people that tried to destroy Donald Trump's presidency from before he was even sworn in and wouldn't give it up until two impeachments and a stolen election later. We didn't take it there. 
The time to fight is now. We're finally starting to put wins on the scoreboard. Just last Friday, ExxonMobil, a Fortune 500 company, if there ever were one, finally sent out this company-wide missive. It, it kind of was buried in the news coverage. It's a huge story, in my opinion, where they said that we at ExxonMobil are not going to fly the rainbow flag. We're not going to fly the gay flag or Black Lives Matter paraphernalia outside of our office. We have reached an inflection point. When it comes to woke capital and kind of the metastasis of the woke culture in America, more broadly speaking. And at this present time, I just have no patience. I have no tolerance whatsoever for the folks who are kind of saying, you know, we have to be the grownups in the room or who the folks who are punching right, who are criticizing DeSantis and Florida Republicans. The time to fight is now. We're finally starting to win, Steve. We're finally starting to win. You know, there's a group of us, you and I would be in this group that for for many years have asked the conservative, quote unquote, conservative legal movement questions like what could a federal judge conjure from the bowels of his depraved mind and slap a universal injunction on it? That what, what, what could it be that we that you would you would be OK with a Republican governor or Republican president saying yeah, I'm not doing that. But thank you. I just we're just we're not doing that. I mean, what 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 could it if it's not carving up little babies, if it's not opening the border, right? If it's not you subsidize illegal aliens, if it's not we take your private property away, your century farm away, uh, you know, for uh, for corporatist development. I mean, tell me, tell me what's left. You have to everybody named Josh has to get gender reassignment surgery without any anesthesia. I mean, what what could they possibly conjure that we would say no to? Right. I mean, you and I have had these conversations with a lot of these same kinds of people on that front for many, many years along those same lines. What could the other side here do that it would be okay now to offensively fight back? I I mean, be the adults in the room. They're in the room trying to attack our children. Do we have to wait for them to actually do the attack? They, they, They storm into your house. It's a home invasion. I'm going to rape your wife. I'm going to assault your children. Do we not respond to those threats? Okay, well, we wait until they actually do it. I don't know. I mean, by the Judeo-Christian standard I come from, that doesn't make you much of a good husband or father. Your, your job is to interpose yourself between them and their threats so they cannot act on them, which is what your governor does on a daily basis, basically, is interpose his office between the federal government and you, the citizens of the state of Florida. What would they? What does the other side have to do? Does the, does the blood have to flow out of our front doors onto the sidewalk, Josh? Same question, different context to all the same people. What do they have to do that we that you would okay give the all clear and say, all right, you're right, we got to fight back against this. You know, Steve, I don't know. I mean, you're right. You and I have had a similar conversation like this many times on this show. I mean, I, you know, our friend Dan Horowitz, I feel like I've gone on his podcast. We've said the same thing. The one example that I vaguely remember from a few years ago was, you know, I have to think that if like a even if a Republican nominated district court judge were to kind of issue a, a you know, a mandamus uh, ruling that were to decree, were to purportedly mandate that like Mitch McConnell had to like dance around the Senate floor butt naked, right? I mean, you, you had to think at that point that like- I actually might affirm that one or at the very least not criticize it, but go ahead. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but like something like like something something that is so like deeply personal and shaming of that mm-hmm. magnitude, like maybe right. Um, but like you know, short of like literally taking our children away from us, and by the way, that is probably coming unless we fight back because it's mm-hmm. already happening. 
it's literally already happening. As Abigail Schreier writes in her Substack time and time again, you know, in the California public school system, they are kind of telling, you know, the, the, the children out there in kind of middle school that they're trying to encourage them to kind of experiment in kind of homosexuality and transgender identities. And oh, by the way, hide it from your children because you come from an oppressive setting where you're a Christian or you're a religious Jew or something like that. Just hide this from your parents. It's literally happening in Canada, in Australia, in various other kind of Anglophone, English-speaking countries. They are sending CPS, Child Protective Services, to come in and take our kids if our kids do not kind of affirm the gender identity that their woke public school government-funded teachers telling are telling them to write. So that, I think, could potentially be kind of an inflection point for some of these kind of, you know, go-along, get-along kind of, you know, live-and-let-live style Republicans, maybe. But, you know, short of that, and I don't even know if that would honestly happen, but, like, that's, like, the one thing short of, like, literally telling Mitch McConnell to, like, dance around butt naked. But the broader point here is about kind of legal culture. Look, I am a constitutional lawyer by training. Okay, I have really published constitutional law scholarship. I, I do law school talks all the time. I was at Yale Law School last year. I'm going to my alma mater, University of Chicago, later this week. I do this stuff all the time. I know what I'm talking about in this area. So for people to choose now, and I'm not going to name names and but for some people to choose now to take a purportedly principled stand by invoking highly debatable First Amendment precedent mm -hmm. in an area where you where it's a First Amendment violation, in this case, for Florida to retaliate against Disney for expressing its opinion by taking away an extra legal privilege. As a matter of prudence, this is just not the time to invoke that. That's, that precedent is deeply debatable on the actual First Amendment constitutional law. And the fact that it's debatable should tell you now is not the time because, again, Steve, we're finally winning. And I just – I have to conclude that, honestly, some people just want to see us lose. They like losing. Like Mike Anton said in that famous Flight 93 election essay, they like being the Washington generals who get their asses handed to them every mm -hmm. single day by the Harlem Globetrotters. They like to lose. There's money in losing. There's conflict in trying to win. It make, it, trying to win comes with a cost, right? 56 men signed that document, pledging their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors. And I know a lot of us have seen that famous Paul Harvey video going through the history of those 56 men. And we know the, the names of, a, of the few headliners. The reason you don't know a lot of those 56 men is because they did end up paying with their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors. There was a price to pay to stand up to the spirit of the age in their time. And I think this is the darkest hour where Churchill is surrounded by a bunch of people who are convinced they cannot win. Uh, and so go ahead and make the best deal that you can right now to hold on to some kind of semblance of your way of life while you still have leverage. I think that sort of Chamberlain-esque uh, dogma uh, is in a lot of our ranks at the exact same time. And I think that that happens because there will be a cost. You might get banned from a social media platform you're trying to monetize. You you might not have a job. You, you, you might not be able to get paid to pontificate uh, for a living. You might have to do something with your hands or there's something that breaks a sweat that doesn't have nearly the acclaim or the affirmation that you get off on on a daily basis. A lot of this is, frankly, I just think people just don't want... If they're, if they're not total whores for the spirit of the age, a lot of it is, and it's a tale as old as time, Josh, we just, we just don't want to pay the price of what happens when the enemy hits back. And I, hey, I'm not in a hurry to pay it myself, okay? But, but I would prefer to step to the enemy before it has me completely and totally surrounded so I'm just not reenacting the Alamo. Yeah, I, I appreciate the memorial. We're all dead.
Okay, I I would like to I, I maybe think we should try standing up to the bully before the odds are ten million to one. How about just one million to one? Let's give those odds a shot. Yeah, no, I think it's really well said, right? So, you know, look, I, <clears throat> you know, our mutual friend, I think Eric Erickson takes somewhat of a middle ground approach on this, and I don't always agree with Eric. I, I think he's a little less sympathetic to some of this more muscular kind of fighting conservatism that I think you and I are talking about here. But one thing that I think Eric said, and I try I actually try to read him every day, one thing that he said in his recent Substack post I actually found pretty persuasive was he did kind of try to paint a mid to longer term view of American politics. And the reality of American politics, as anyone who kind of follows this thing at even a cursory level could tell you, is that you know, one party is never in power for that long, right? I mean, it constantly is a pendulum that goes back and forth. Now, it's true there are like there are fewer swing voters on election to election basis, but there are like massive changes in kind of the partisan composition of various states. Like here in Florida, when Governor DeSantis took over in 2018, early 2019, Democrats had a massive like I think like two to three hundred thousand number of voter registration advantage. Republicans are now actually leading here. So whether it's at a voting level or kind of a registration level, there is a shifting pendulum, and that's kind of a continuing feature of American politics. So for that for that reason, for that particular reason, that does militate at least in favor, perhaps a little bit, of not acting like a gratuitous dick. Okay. But having said that, <laughs> like 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 with that caveat aside, you know, with the caveat aside, we probably shouldn't go tit for tat with them on accusing like their Supreme Court nominees of being gang serial rapists. With that kind of I'm not in favor aside, of violating the laws of nature and nature's God in order to uphold them. I'm not in favor of that. So I, I wouldn't be in favor of that as a tactic. If it's a lie, I wouldn't be in favor of that. Totally. No, I'm not either. I mean, I mean, look, what they did to, for example, with Brett Kavanaugh, what they did to Clarence Thomas, for that matter, obviously, with Anita Hill, I mean, totally off limits. I mean, we should not be even discussing going there. That is abhorrent. Disgusting Here's where I would disagree with Eric and, and, that, and that point of view. I, I, first of all, you need to make evidence, show me evidence. There is a long term here under the current modus operandi, because I don't believe that there is. Okay, we were talking about forcibly injecting into Americans an experimental technology that we had no long term ramification, no long term evidence that it truly worked or or what its side effects are. Now we got the CDC and other countries out of nowhere, hepatitis alerts like it's, you know, the 1700s. All right. We've got college. We got football announcers and soccer players stepping away from the game or 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 being on camera because they have sudden blood clots. Okay, what is the long term evidence for a long term? If you I would like there to be a long term, I would like to pass on good old fashioned American, some good old fashioned American complacency to my own children. Here's how I know there won't be one. If we continue in the current paradigm, which is when they get power, they can do literally whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. They can punish us however they want. And there is absolutely no punishment back for exceeding rules of engagement. One side gets to lob all the mustard gas it wants. And I'm not, I'm not in favor of making mustard gas to counter the mustard gas. I'm in favor of, of stopping the people that want to launch the mustard gas before they freaking launch it. That's what I'm in favor of. Okay. And so what we have, what, what DeSantis is creating now is a mutual assured destruction. This was the strategy of Reagan in the Cold War. Reagan did not build nuclear armaments at a record pace, Josh, as you know, because he thought he could win a nuclear war, but because he didn't think it was winnable, 
And so he wanted to de-incentivize radicals within the Kremlin who thought maybe they could win one. Maybe the West is weak. Maybe we can launch a preemptive strike. That's what SDI was about. Constant, constantly trying to assure them this is not winnable. Don't even go there. It's mutually assured destruction. We need more of our people to pimp slap them around. So that they're like, oh, okay, I guess that's off limits now. We can't go there. And we keep it within this fulcrum where it's, you know, somewhere here in this center right, center left. And I'm totally fine fighting it out there and making a career out of that and enjoying the God bless America. Okay. But they're the ones that want to move this fulcrum way over here and then punish you if you don't, if you, if if you even are only willing to go this far. What Erickson and others are arguing for is beyond naive. The idea that there's a long term, we don't know what a border is, we don't know what a gender is, we don't know what a criminal is, we don't know what a law is, we don't know what a government is, we don't know what a vote is, we don't know what an election is. What the hell is your long term perspective? Long term to me is like in six months. Right. No, wow. I, I, I mean, tough to be that obviously. Look, I, I, I obviously agree. I, I agree with you. I do. I mean, the, the point that I was making was that we just shouldn't necessarily go full kind of like let's like, you know, savage their children. I mean, like, you know, like, kind of like, 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 like the Brett Kavanaugh example, right? But as far as stopping them before they get to that point, kind of the mustard gas um, example you gave, that's actually a really good example, by the way, because that kind of gets into, into kind of jailbreaking criminal justice reform and kind of, uh, you know, militates in favor of kind of just locking more people up in general, which is something that I think kind of a more kind of fighting vigorous conservatism should be adamant about the time for kind of a more libertarian leaning kind of, you know, let's reduce sentences, let's free low level drug offenders that that ship has so far sailed. But more fundamentally, to your broader point there. You and I are on the same page of this. Look, um, you know, I mentioned my friend Matt Peterson of Claremont Institute. I was actually at Claremont's alumni retreat this past weekend, which was down here in Tampa, Florida. I just drove across the state to go to it. I'm an alum of their Marshall Fellowship Program, which is the one for kind of, um, you know, uh, federal law clerks. And, you know, kind of a a theme that you start to hear initially within Claremont circles, it's kind of to kind of pervade the discourse more broadly is, do you know what time it is? Mm -hmm. Do you do you do you on the right? Do you know what time it is? Mm-hmm. If you are still kind of spouting kind of live and let live, let's be the grownups in the room. Let's just kind of slash regulation slash tax cuts and oh, we'll all be happy and jolly. Then you have no clue what week it is, what month it is, what year it is, arguably what century it is, because this ship is sinking. Mm-hmm. This ship is sinking. The principled loserdom crowd, the Washington generals crowd that Mike Anton wrote about in the Flood and Anthony election essay, what I wrote about in my column against principled loserdom last week, these people are analogous to that dog that is sipping coffee in the this is fine meme, you know, with like the fire <laughs> like around you. Right. They're just, they're yep. just looking around. People are savaging Supreme Court nominees as serial gang rapists. People are are totally perched from Twitter, Facebook, the online town square for having the most lukewarm anodyne of opinions that like, oh, by the way, there are two genders there's male and female. How radical, you know, people are getting purged for that stuff. If you think that now is the time for just kind of limp wristed kind of a feet tax slashing regulatory slashing agenda that you need to wake the hell up mm-hmm. and you need to get out of politics if you mm-hmm. are currently in it. Because at this current rate, I totally agree with you, Steve. Right now, the action is at the state level. Um, I, I pray that there is not like a conflict, a civil war in my lifetime. I think that there is a decent chance that there is some sort of unraveling conflict, something. Maybe not above 50%, but there is a decent chance of it. The time to focus now is at the state level. That's why I'm happy here in a red state. You guys are in a red state in Iowa. It's time to kind of focus on making our stance here and preserving the American way of life the best that we can. 
our cultural values now are best upheld at the state level. We still need to fight for the Leviathan in D.C., and when we have the powers there, we need to use it for the actions at the state level. Amen to every word. And, and the, the great irony of this is, for the pragmatic crowd, there has been over a 300,000 voter registration swing in the state of Florida in just three years. The, the ultimate and arguably most expensive swing state in the union. The last 40 years, the average margin of victory in a Florida presidential election has been two and a half points. DeSantis won by fewer than 40,000 votes over a guy who literally got caught doing cocaine off a gay hooker's ass. All right. And yet he has had an over 300,000 vote swing of demo. I mean, that's... That's how you know if they're consultants or they're quizlinks, because you would want to emulate that success. You'd want to pull a Greg Abbott and let me just copy that guy. You'd want to be doing what he's doing, right? Because it's working for him. The fact that that would be, it's one thing if his approval rating is like 50.2 and you'd be worried he's going to blow an election and what's going to be a clear red wave year, right? He's the friggin' pace car. He's in, he's the guy in the pole position. He's Dale friggin' Earnhardt, man. Winning the Daytona 500 like every news cycle. That's the guy you ought to be following. So if you're not, then all the reasons you wouldn't be, as far as I can tell, Josh, are bad. Good to see you, my friend, as always. All right, be safe. You too, brother. Thanks for having me. You bet. Let's get some reaction to the conversation that Josh Hammer and I just had. What say you guys? Well, there's a Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath quality uh to the entire discussion the 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 why that these actors behave the way they do i i I called it uh on a tweet earlier this week this genteel self-pleasuring that they engage in uh just kind of holding firm have these nice discussions be the adults in the room uh that that's there's a there's a problem of not and we see it in jonah and david french and other it's clear, and, and Steve, you it's a version of what you've said for a long time about hating the base. It, it, mm-hmm. it is that. they and, and also, they just don't like people in general, which is simply heretical to anybody who can call themselves a conservative. You can have different styles. You can be an extrovert. You can be an introvert. But like ultimately, this is for people, God's people. What are the how, how do you sum up the amendments? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is not just a white paper, and that's what it's abundantly clear. A lot of these so-called conservatives, they just like doing. They like sitting there and doing the how many angels can dance on the head of a pin thing. This is ultimately about people. Yes, God's people. Yes, and people are being, and many people are being exposed. For not liking that part of it. The fact that our Lord was uh, born in a dirty manger amongst the animals. And no one could make sense of that. Even his own people. This is why this is a spirit of an aid issue. Who are we? How were we created? What is our purpose? What is our destiny? Amen. Yeah, that was incredibly well said. Don't know how I'm supposed to to follow that up. Uh, Well said, Todd. But I, I would say... From a, a human nature standpoint, the people who 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 most uh, say we need to be the adults in the room here, we need to just all take a deep breath, we blah blah blah. That in and of itself, thirty years ago, was probably some pretty good advice. Twenty years ago, pretty pretty good advice. Ten years ago, 
Maybe let's let's just make sure we're, we know what we're dealing with. Five years ago, uh, now no, no, it's we, we have to reject that whole cloth. But the people who still cling on to that, from a human nature perspective, you can see if you put yourself in their shoes. No matter if they came from um, a, a lower uh, background or or uh, took the dirt, dirt road to get where they are. Whatever it is, if you're if you're commentating and viewing things out of your out of your brownstones or from your ivory towers, it's really easy, even when things are literally burning down on the ground where the little people are. It's still easy to say, take a deep breath. Everything is fine here. We just need to be the adults in the room. That's human nature at work. That's not saying that's not giving them an excuse whatsoever uh, at all. But I, I think that's a big part of this as well, because the environment that they're surrounded by, the people that they're surrounded by, very much an echo chamber. And that's, I think, how you get a lot of these takes. It's the comforts, their own brand of comfort that Todd talks about that continues to enable them to, 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 to say things like that and to encourage us not to actually hit back at the enemy when they can do literally everything they want to us. That was a pretty good follow-up. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good, too. And back to you guys, I'm not even going to add to what you two just said. I, I thought it was so well done. So when we come back, Pop Culture Tuesday, we'll talk about the new movie Father Stew with Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson, which is great, by the way. But I think made a tactical error in not reaching a greater audience. Maybe I'm wrong, though. We'll discuss when we we come back. Well, just in case, you know, that could never happen here. Happens here. Just in case your pre-trib view is wrong, whichever of those two camps you fall into, make sure you are prepared with our friends over at My Patriot Supply, America's largest preparedness company. Right now, you can save $150 off their three-month emergency food kit and get free shipping, $150 off, and get free shipping to know that you and everyone in your care, in your household... You've got three square meals a day, plus snacks, uh, plus drinks, 2,000 plus calories. You're good to go with food stored up to 25 years with proper storage. Make sure you've got that peace of mind right now. When you go to preparewithdace.com, these kits are in stock. They ship fast and discreetly. All right. They won't send you that, uh, you know, deep blue, like Kirk Curbstreet's eyes van that says doom prepper on it. That make you uncomfortable again. Always. Always. Always, yes. Uh, I mean, I guess you could ask for that. I don't know if that even exists, but they, they send it to you discreetly. All right? So, but uh, you'll your neighbors won't know what's going on, but you will. You know what time it is. You'll be prepared. When you go to preparewithdace.com, get $150 off and free shipping right now at preparewithdace.com. All right. I, I don't think either one of you have seen Father Stu, correct? I have not, but nope. I very much want to. Okay. So then I, I think the conversation I want to have about the movie, we can have without any spoilers then. Okay? Yeah. So I won't spoil anything. The movie's very good. It is very powerful. And uh, the, the movie tells the story about uh, a young man who's kind of a drifter, wannabe. He's always glomming on to from, you know, one scammed slash 
quick, quick, uh, you know, uh, get rich quick scheme or, uh, you know, one dream vision that he doesn't follow through on to the other. Abandoned by his father, played by Mel Gibson. All right. And suddenly um, he sees a young woman that he's like, okay. That's that's my soulmate right there. That's my girl. Turns out she is a devoutly Catholic woman. And so he starts showing up at church and everything else in order to pursue her and finds out in the middle of that pursuit of her that he's not the pursuer at all. He is the one being pursued uh, by God uh, to be called into the priesthood. Okay. And this leads to, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but some, some extremely powerful moments in this film. Uh, particularly the last act is if you can keep it together during the last act, man, then you're a hell of a lot more dude than me or you're Vulcan. You're not of this earth. All right. Because the last act is, can break you. And in a good way, it's a very, very good film. Mark Wahlberg plays father Stu, who is based on a real person. Mel Gibson plays uh, his, uh, his father. So we're talking about Mark Wahlberg right now is one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Mel Gibson for a period of time was the biggest movie star in the world as one of the most decorated actors of his era. They made this movie for $4 million, which makes you wonder if Wahlberg and Gibson did it for basically nothing as a labor of love. Okay. It's a great film. It is also rated R. And it has earned its R uh, because this is like, it's like they had Quentin Tarantino uh, consult on this script. Okay. I mean, there's plenty of interactions in this movie that it could have been, if I would have told you this was Reservoir Dogs and it's Mr. Green talking to Mr. White, you'd have been like, okay, it's not. It's Father Stu. And is there a point of diminishing returns? I I understand that, and I grew up in an environment like this. I grew up where people, I've told you guys before, I I thought my name included an F-bomb playing youth sports until about the 10th grade. (laughs) It didn't matter the sport. Football, basketball, baseball, I thought... You know, that I, I get the this environment. I, I grew up around it. I totally understand it. I grew up in it. So I, I, I understand the desire to want to portray something that people will identify as real. That models their own life experiences. But I, I do fear that this film has gone, went way too far. I, I think this way about the Nicolas Cage movie, by the way. Um... The 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 unbearable weight of massive talent, I believe, is what it's called. It's great. I mean, and I'm not saying it's like the best Nick Cage movie in many years in comparison to the other recent lot of Nick Cage movies. It's a legitimately great film. It's hilarious. It's not. It has zero woke whatsoever. Has no nudity, no gore, no no excessive violence. It even has an incredibly wholesome move uh, message to it. I mean, the real message of this film is. That Cage has forsaken his marriage and daughter in pursuit of his own career interests. And now, as a man well into his 50s and a daughter that just turned sweet 16, he is he is confronting his own demons. I mean, it's a it's a very good movie. I would highly recommend it. But why is that movie rated R? Because there's at least 50 unnecessary F-bombs in that film. At least 50. 
Now, we wrestled with this as we were storyboarding and and the team at Believe was putting together the script for Nefarious, right? I mean, this is a movie that takes place on death row. They don't say a lot of please and thank you on death row, right? There's not a lot of why, yes, I was actually ascertaining the dilemma of the current situation and i came to this really nonsensical they don't talk like that on death row right? right neither the guards do neither the warden does certainly the criminals on death row do not right and so we wrestled with how real should this be because it it certainly is a faith-based film even though it is in the horror genre all right and so we even wrestled with do we throw in a couple of uh do we have nefarious you know drop a couple of f-bombs just to make it seem more realistic. But then if you if you do that, you may lose a good portion of your church audience and you may get an R rating. You know what I'm saying? So we made, the, just so you guys know, we made the decision in our film not to do that and thought that we could, it would even maybe take on the challenge of creating a compelling story that is dark and gritty without those elements. And Aaron, having read the script, do you think we accomplished that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I will tell you though, that is the harder road. Okay. It also took nearly a damn year to write that script. It, that's not as easy to do because especially when you're in a film that's heavily dialogue driven and character driven as nefarious is, as Father Stu is, there aren't massive set pieces with, you know, uh, sweeping 15 minute uh, space battles to occupy your time. I mean, this these these are the kinds of films that are almost in completely dialogue and character driven. I, I think... I think you're raising a good point here that it is, I imagine, a struggle. I will say, though, having read the script with Nefarious um, in particular, not having that typical death row, um, I don't want to say banter, but uh, lexicon, I think that actually adds to the unsettling nature, which is what what you want uh, in this film. You want it to be unsettling. So I think in this one, it actually it actually helped you. Uh, quite a little bit because everything it's it's real it's real you feel like it's real but it's not uh over the top or or over dialogued correct this it's i i just i found it a tad distracting at times um and maybe they could have alleviated it i mean the film spends about half of its time in father stew's pagan life and the other half in his priestly life and maybe they could have you know change the ratio of that in editing a little bit. So maybe one third of the film. And, but on the other hand, if you do that, you lose the power and the potency of his conversion at the exact same time. It doesn't resonate maybe as much either. Right. I, I just, I, I just really hope they didn't get together and say, if we just put all these F bombs and everything in the film, it'll just re- be relevant and more. I hope that's not what they did because it didn't work looking at the box office. And I think it is a film far more worthy um, of an audience than the audience of a size audience than the audience that it actually received. Todd, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I guarantee you the box office, people don't know that it has nothing to do with the cursing. It has to do with, it's called father stew. That, I mean, that's that, a good point too. That's yeah. it. You, 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 that's, <clears throat> if you really want to talk about it, you should have named it like Battlestar Galactica. And then, you know, cause really, <laughs> That's that's the problem. I, and listen, these guys, this guy, he's from Southie, 
right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and Mel Gibson is the guy who made the passion and then had a, quite an epic meltdown. So uh, he was so dialed in to his Lord and Savior that he pulled off one of the great works of cinematic art ever and then still had f giant feet of clay. These guys know how broken they are on some level. And I think they are speaking to a particular audience that is very raw. And if you don't give them real, you can't hope to rescue them. And so I, I, my guess, I haven't seen it. I really look forward to it. Um, but I, I, I don't, I don't expect that I would be distracted by it because I think that knowing who these guys are, they think, listen, this, I am, I, I, I'm not really broadcasting as much as you think I am. I think they're telling you I am going for the heart of a soul that I once was and I still am and they need to hear it in a certain way and that's what I'm going to do. Okay, I want to come back at that here in just a second so we can make a really good point. First, let me remind you that in these unprecedented times, Bing. you need to make sure you go into the real estate market with an agent that you can trust because they have a track record of trustworthiness. Now, where would I find such a person. Well, the bad news is when you go on the real estate brokers of your community's websites or the community you want to move to, they don't like rank their agents for you in order of accomplishment or trustworthiness. Uh, that's why you need a referral service. And that's why we gave you one. It's called realestateagentsitrust.com. That's a company started by Glenn Beck and his associates because, well, they ran into real estate agents. They found out too late they couldn't trust. They didn't want that to happen to you. So now it doesn't have to. Just about anywhere you want to move to or from we can hook you up with somebody with a fully vetted, verified track record of success. They'll come in, take charge of your situation. But remember that ultimately you are the one that's in charge. When you go to realestateagentsitrust.com. So along those lines, um, the other night, Amy and I watched Redeeming Love, which is based on one of her favorite books by Francine Rivers. And it's a, it's a, it's a loose retelling of the book of Hosea. Okay. And it's set in the Old West. And a guy whose last name is Hosea. Uh, falls in love. He's convinced that God has told him, you have to marry the most beautiful woman in town. It just so happens she is the most popular prostitute at the brothel. Okay? And so his attempt to woo her, to get her out of that environment, then her desire to continue to return, okay? And him having to go back and get her, it's, it's, it's very well done. I would highly recommend this too, okay? Now, this film doesn't have any of the swearing, okay? But it has a lot of sex. Now, it's not gratuitous, but we are talking about a movie about a woman who was literally selling her body and doesn't shy away from any of that. I certainly, same with Father Stu, that's not a movie that for, we were still doing the family movie nights like when the kids were younger and they actually wanted to spend time with us, all right? Father Stu would not be an Easter weekend uh, family movie night selection. Neither would be Redeeming Love. Now, it is not rated R. There is nudity in the film, but it is done very discreetly. Uh, I mean, you see breast without nipple, but it's pretty obvious what is occurring and what is going on because it does, again, want to deal realistically with the subject matter. But it clearly made the intent of not pushing boundaries into gratuity and didn't lose the potency of its message at all. They still made a gritty film that is certainly not meant for children, okay, uh, which is fine because, frankly, there's a lot of things in the Bible we need to learn that aren't meant to be read to little children, right? But they didn't. They saw fit not to cross any of those boundaries. Father Stu, on the language side, just threw boundaries and caution to the wind. Thoughts? But that, like, like you, that's how people talk. I, how is it a boundary crossed? If that's how, I mean, yeah, get. I guarantee you, Mark. Have you? Mark Wahlberg grew up talking that way. 
Mark Wahlberg might still talk to. I mean, that's where I don't get it's a, a a boundary. It might be a boundary to a broader audience. That's my point. A boundary if, to a what broader audience. What if they don't audience. care? What uh, if they know? I know the heart of the audience. I need to reach. Okay. And it's a guy like Father Stu. Should we care? Uh, when you're when you're I making don't. that content, do you still have a responsibility to care? I don't know. I'm asking. I'm asking. But I, I'm not saying they don't care. I'm saying they care enough to make sure that the certain audience that needs to hear this, and it's not children or, you know, families that, you know, grew up well taken care of and don't have this issue. I, maybe they care a lot. And this is their way of making sure that those people know that they care because they're not condescending to you. They're not trying to pull the very cheesy movie on you. They're trying to say, hey, man, this is the bleeping real deal. Aaron, we got about two minutes here. You've been kind of quiet. What do you think? Um, I think this, I tend to, I tend to agree with Todd. Um, I think this is, um, what is it? Paul in Corinthians to the Jew. I became, uh, a Jew, like a Jew. Yep. I yep. think it's that. To the that Gentile, I became to, like a Gentile. Yeah, I became exactly. all things to all people. So I may save some of them. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, I, I don't know their motivations, if it was Mark Wahlberg on his own, I'm not sure I would agree with Todd, but I, I, it's both Wahlberg and Gibson. I, I feel like Gibson's uh, story and broken road um, in some aspects of his life lend a little bit more a credence to the, the, the point that Todd is making, that this is intended for a very specific audience and they're not going to pull any punches um, to maybe smooth things over with a broader audience. I mean, to make my point, we, if you take it all the way to his logical conclusion, no matter how reformed he is, that, Mark Wahlberg once played Dirk Diggler. Should he not be making this movie at all? Because people know that about him? Sure. I, that's not the issue. The issue, because I think you, you, you raise a good point there. The issue is, I, I, the, the number one reason faith-based filmmaking has failed is because we were too sensitive about glorifying sin so that we didn't depict the world around us mm -hmm. realistically with characters who were relevant. Right. Okay. I, I am concerned that we would maybe swing the pendulum so far the other way, though, that we become too comfortable with it at the same time. Is that a legitimate? Oh, that's fare? more than legitimate. And I guess that I, maybe is what I should have said probably 15 minutes ago. Especially with well, no, but especially with movie making, unlike a book, you're just putting your imagination down. Mm -hmm. These are real people making this. They're really nude. They're really cursing. They're mm -hmm. the and and like you said, look how close you got to the devil writing your book. Mm -hmm. Just imagine, like Heath Ledger, mm -hmm. it may have killed him. So yeah. yes, you are absolutely right. That's. I, there's a there's a balance in yeah. there somewhere, I yeah. guess, is what I was trying to get at. Yes. And again, I should have tried to get to it at 15 minutes ago. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Not every segment can be good. Uh, we'll be back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, after Glenn Beck uh, here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.